0: real early i'm larry sternshine and on this episode i talk with screenwriter and podcaster mark palermo mark is best known for co-writing the film detention with director joseph Kahn. recently mark dropped his latest podcast movies and chaos with co-host serena whitney where they discuss cult movies and their legacy in this episode you will learn many behind the scenes information on just how the film detention came to be We also have a lengthy discussion on where movies were and what they will look like in the future. All that and much more on this week's episode without further wait, Mark Palermo. All right. I'm back here with Mark Palermo, a screenwriter, podcaster, and friend. So I want to thank you for taking the time to come on to my show. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure.
0: So when I say screenwriter, I know that you co-wrote detention, uh the Joseph Kahn film. And I watched it last night because it's literally been a very long time since the last time I saw it. And I okay. think it was so you'd
1: seen it before.
0: I have seen it before. It was about it was a little over 10 years ago, the first time right. I saw it. It was when on it was a Halloween a, party yeah. mm-hmm. and hmm. we had been drinking carbon pumpkins. There's a lot of people talking. It was like but it was cool is there's so much going on that it never diverted my attention from everybody. Uh, was that like when you were writing a script for something like that with a lot going on, what, mm-hmm. what is that process like when you're writing it? Does, does it seem that fast on the page or is it?
1: Um, I mean, in the case of detention, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be as fast as it was. I'll say that. Um, the script kind of had a lot of ideas going into it. And Joseph Kahn probably spent almost a year just kind of coming up with ideas, like penning different ideas for scenes on a bulletin board, carving stuff away till it made sense, reorganizing it. So there were a lot of ideas in it. I also felt, and I think this happens with a lot of people's first features, it was my first feature, not his, um, that you have a lot to say because it's kind of your whole life up until that point. So I knew there was like a lot going into it and right in when I wrote the first draft of detention, it just kind of poured out in me. I did that in a month and it was just like this kind of creative high I was on, which I've always been trying to reach again. It's like, how did I do detention? That was insane. Um, so there was a lot going into it. Then like I was on set, we did a 55 day shoot. It was like, I think it was about 25 days over schedule. Just because the the shots in it were so complex that it was taking longer than we had planned, um, the day after the the day of the wrap party, I came home to Joseph's place. I was staying at his place in Hollywood, and he's he said, "Do you want to see a rough cut of the movie?" There was an on set editor, so something was already assembled, and I watched it, and I was like, "Okay, this is the script as a movie," but in my mind, I'm like, "Something's not working here." I didn't know what it was. I went home for probably about five months, got called back to LA. Joseph had been working on an edit of the film, showed it to me again. And it was like, just this totally like new style, new school filmmaking. It was so fast paced. And I I was like really excited by it. I was like, Whoa, like you've invented something here. So I didn't know it was going to be like that. I mean, I knew there was a lot in the movie, but the kind of, uh, information overload aspect of it 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 caught me off guard even a little bit
0: and when you were first writing that was you did the first draft and then you came to him or was it we had the ideas then you wrote it i'm just well we
1: totally came up with the conception of the movie together we were bouncing ideas off each other for about a year i remember um we were at coachella in like 2007 i'd known joseph through writing movie reviews. I was a film critic for 10 years. <laughs> um, but we were at Coachella and just knew we wanted to do a movie together. I really liked Torque, but I was always thinking we'd have to make a movie because like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm going to give Joseph the best script for a movie he's ever had. I mean, he only had one movie at that point. Um, and then we, ca- we kind of bounced ideas off each other. Joseph's very exacting about he'll push you really hard because he really cares a lot about, the structure of his films and stuff so we spent like the better part of a year just kind of figuring out what detention was we knew it was kind of like a, a proto scream in a way but with a like a very modern sensibility for the late 2000s um at that point we had i think i like looked at our whole chart of what the movie was and i wrote a treatment which I mean, your listeners probably know it's like 10 pages or so of just scene by scene, everything that's going to be in the movie. At that point, it was like, well, when are we going to start writing the script? And I like kind of realized it wasn't happening. And um, Joseph was busy doing commercials, doing music videos. I was in LA again on the set of a Chinese dandruff shampoo commercial starring Nicole Scherzinger from Pussycat Dolls. Uh, I was really bored on that set. Scherzinger wasn't speaking to me because she's doing her own thing. So I'm like, I'm going to take my laptop. I'm going to write four scenes of detention a day until we have a first draft. I still feel like if I didn't tell myself that, then the movie wouldn't exist. But I like committed to myself, this is like a challenge for myself. I'm going to write this movie. That draft probably took about a month. And I remember I was at my parents' cottage when I finished it. And I sent it to Joseph like in the middle of the night. I'm... And I'm like, all right, here it is. He like wrote me back two hours later and is like, yeah, I would totally make this. But we need to kind of adjust some things, like make it a little funnier in places, tighten things up. So then I flew back to LA and we kind of rewrote it together. That's that's sort of how it went. But it was an ongoing process. Like even on set, I was constantly being asked to write new lines, like the the coach would have background dialogue as ioni's running away it says like run blonde child run i remember having to come up with that in like a minute and or just like girls talking in in the bathrooms or whatever so yeah it was like a, a, a the the rewrite process of it never really ended till the movie was over
0: when you guys were coming up with the concept of the thing did you know you kind of wanted to lean into like the horror aspect of it or did you find horror made it easier to get your ideas out on paper um I
1: think I I'm a bigger horror fan than he is like certainly at the time I was um and so that was always there we sort of knew it was kind of a take on the slasher movie it, it was just kind of the challenge of figuring out how to to make slasher movies fresh you need like a a fresh killer and it's it, it can be tough to figure out a new look of what a killer looks like in those movies um but I, I mean, it just kind of, I feel, emerged naturally that it was very much also a teen movie. And, you know, the comedy kind of, I think we knew it would be there, but it, it just, it's sort of my inclination also that as I write stuff, it just kind of ends up having a lot of jokes in it. Um, but, but yeah, the, there was always an element in terms of the structure of, of kind of a slasher film.
0: Yeah. Because it was interesting watching it last night because, it felt like it started off as like the slasher thing just to kind of get you in it. Mm-hmm. But like halfway through, it just sort of felt like yeah. that was just kind of like the thing to get them all together. But there was like time <laughs> travel yep. and there was a weird aside stories that I really liked. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really struck out was interesting because you kind of talk about social media on it and social media has definitely changed a lot since the movie came out. But yeah, the Twitter was pretty new at that time. I remember but that. TikTok was the yeah. first thing I thought of because there's a lot of short bursts of a lot of different type of uh, segments that really feels like you're scrolling through TikTok. you would be like, here's this uh, funny video and here's this thing and that thing. Like, were, yeah. were, did was social media that much on your mind at the time or it just sort of got lucky with it? Um, I, I don't know. I think it was kind of a process of just sort of
1: sensing like what was in the air. And I mean, I don't know. I I that's hard to answer the the without sounding pretentious really, but I, I do feel detention was a little ahead of its time in that way, I guess. Um that um I think both Joseph and I kind of have a self consciousness about not boring anyone. Um, uh, we like to kind of put on a show and um I think because we've both seen a lot of movies, it's hard to entertain ourselves. And so, you know, making detention is a process of, okay, what's exciting to us? And that kind of just sort of takes on that, you know, very rapid um, kind of media onslaught feel of it. Um, one of the kind of driving ideas for the concept of detention was that every character is in their own teen movie, right? So. You kind of have Clapton, who's like the Ferris Bueller character, uh, Riley, who's like, I, don't, I guess, pretty in pink, maybe Julia Stiles in, uh Ten Things I Hate About You, and then you, you know, you have the bully who's kind of in The Fly or some kind of nineteen fifties teenage werewolf movie, even. Um, so, so that was sort of the idea that th- there is like a lack of an attention span going on, and that is sort of how I I related to high school in a way. And I think that a lot of teen life is like that, that everyone's kind of living in their own head, right? So the the sort of process of detention, which I kind of view as sort of socialist in a way, is that the everyone moves in the film from at the beginning being very isolated and individual. And then at the end, everyone, all these different characters kind of come together. And to me, that's like a nice message.
0: Yeah, I had a very but, uh, breakfast club kind of thing at the end there which i'm sure was by design
1: (laughs) yeah definitely definitely um it's funny because when we we wrote that narration at the end uh, i remember joseph saying it should sound like the narration at the end of raising arizona but i I do think that it feels more like breakfast club especially with the so and, and the concept of the movie is very you know breakfast club meets back to the future meets scream yeah
0: yeah it's 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 very um funny when i was kind of seeing what was the references that you were going to mention for like the 90s and stuff and you just kind of see references now but it's it's still we haven't quite caught up with current 10 20 years ago yet with references it feels like we're still getting a lot of 90s references and 80s references it feels like I don't know if you've
1: so so you mean oh. presently we're still stuck on the nineties. It, it feels like
0: 80s and 90s are still like what is what's yeah. it gonna take yeah. for us to kind of go past that? Is it just younger people writing movies? Uh,
1: I think so, but I well, I think this there's some difficult things going on here. But my feeling is always that what's retro, what we're nostalgic for, is 20 years ago. That's kind of the cutoff. It's like um so right now is what, it's 2023. So I guess 2003 should be the year we're nostalgic for now. But I think what happens in the 2000s, and I was talking about this on my other podcast, I mean, this isn't my podcast, but on my podcast, we were talking about The Wedding Singer. And The Wedding Singer came out in 1998. And yet it's nostalgic for 1988, I think, right? And, and it seemed like a different world like when I was a teenager watching that movie, it was like, wow, the 80s was so weird and so long ago. But today that would be like making a movie about 2013. What would you do in it? Everything looks the same, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think you'd have to be like extremely, an extreme hipster who just kind of thought like music from 10 years ago is funny now. I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's harder, I think, to reference stuff. Maybe because we're also caught right now in a nostalgia culture that it's harder to, identify what what are the 2010s about right like the 90s the 90s you can identify through grunge or as we did more in detention i think detention kind of had more of like a fresh prince of bel-air kind of look at the 90s right but these are like real um cultural markers i think maybe you can make a, a nostalgic film now about 2005 with like napoleon dynamite jokes or garden state
0: jokes but other than that i mean yeah, it'd be hard to do. What what's funny is I there's a a thing I do every day called the box office game. Okay. And you have uh there's five to, there's a weekend and you have to choose what movies were like 1 through 5. And uh you can like do Oh, hands. I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah Do yeah. A hands with actors or whatever. Mm-hmm. When it's like 92 or 1982 or 85 98 99 whatever. It's so much easier when it's like 2006. Mm. I'm like what was 2006? Yeah, what's two
1: thousand six. Yeah,
0: I don't. I don't know. Like <laughs> in my head Casino is Casino Royale, you know,
1: maybe. Uh, yeah, I think I'm just.
0: I'm probably just old, and I'm sure there's somebody younger than me. Like I know there's some people that are like, I got a perfect score from a movie from 2011. I'm like, I don't even know what was 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think you hit on something, which is that age plays a major part of that, and like, uh, your teen years are very vivid. Like everything is just. You know, like I, 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 it bothers me when I watch like Fear Street, nineteen ninety four, and it has more human than human in it because I know more human than human came out in nineteen ninety five, right? <laughs> but it's just because like I was a teenager then, and that seemed like like a different era itself, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I do, I do think that stuff is like way more like in its distinct boxes when you're that age. As you get older, it kind of starts to blur together. But it does make me wonder, like about teen life now, like what is, what does twenty twenty three mean to them compared to what twenty twenty two meant, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I I do talk to some younger people. I'm not like totally just an oldy old fart, but uh, no, a I, lot, I of, lot of to imply you <laughs> right. But a lot a, a lot of them, it feels like there is a before and an after and now recently, obviously there's before COVID and after COVID, but there, even oh, yeah, if there yeah. wasn't COVID, it just feels like there's some sort of like event that happened that they, they always think of with before and after. Whereas I'm growing up. It was just things that happened. I mean, it like, again, it just might be something that when I was younger, I might have, mm. I think they're more aware of what's going on around them than I was when I was their age, at least.
1: Okay. Um, if you don't mind me
0: asking, what year did
1: you graduate from high school? Nineteen ninety-six. Okay, so you're a year older
0: than me. Yeah, so I, um, I'm I'm forty-five, but I'm not I'm not like ancient forty-five, but I definitely feel uh, forty-five. You know what I mean? You're a young man.
1: Got your Run <laughs> DMC shirt on. It's cool. <laughs> it's a very
0: old shirt too.
1: Um, I don't know. Like, what do you? I'm I'm curious about this idea of a, an event happening beyond COVID. Like,
0: what do you attribute that to be? Honestly, I think one big thing is it was really hard for them to see Trump win for a oh. lot of younger people. Yeah. For example, yeah. I think that kind of just they were like, we went from this guy that we're really excited about and was very positive with Obama. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Trump was the exact opposite of what they wanted and he won and they were like what the hell you know and i think i think there's a large segment of young kids that are a little bit traumatized by it and they're trying to make things better in the world and i think they're doing the best yeah. that they can but it's it's mm-hmm. it's different when i was a kid like we didn't really think about for me that in that way president was the and... same
1: yeah i was not into i didn't really follow politics then um but i did think like, yeah, I, th- I think that the Trump years kind of really forced everyone to get more political in a way, you know, because he was just such a clown show on the surface that it was hard to ignore. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I think there's like, a, you could maybe call it a despair. There's, there's something going on in the air. I, I feel like society is kind of at a breaking point in a way. Eggs are six dollars uh people can't afford their groceries housing is uh, you know there's all these kind of mass protests even something like the George Floyd protests of 2000, 2020 um that was the biggest american protest ever but nothing happened nothing came out of it like policy wise so it, it sort of feels like there's this feeling of powerlessness that young people have now that i was able to ignore as a 90s teen and you know, there's this kind of despair. I think over the capitalist system, which they see falling apart. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the next teen movie that it, people try to make that's really going to hit with them it has a lot of work to do because it's a different era for
0: sure. Yeah, yeah. I look back at growing up. I graduated college in 2000, and mm-hmm. that was a, the first major like political thing that I noticed was when the whole Bush and Gore thing went down. And I think, right. And that was when I became like, what I feel is like an adult because I was graduating school and mm-hmm. I was going out in the real world. And this first time I realized that like, you know, things are pretty crazy out there. And then nine eleven hits. Yeah. And it's just like, it feels like that, like there's a definite line between like a carefree feeling. And then, you know, things are mm-hmm. beginning a little bit more serious and I think a lot yeah. of movies reflect on that too, in in different ways. It's 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 just it feels different now. Some of the movies that we get a lot more cynical than they used to be. Perhaps I'm, I don't know if you feel For that sure. way.
1: Well, I did. I do remember. You know, I'm in Canada, but I've, I watched uh, those planes hit the towers on live television at university. I was in a uh, like a university bar that afternoon. There were just people congregated around the the television there um and it's true that like even here there was this new york's not really that far from me there was this kind of feeling of heaviness like this just kind of cloud over the air for a while and i think what happened with media after that is you know republicans complain that the the left is censoring stuff today but there was an effort then i remember like lists came out of songs you can no longer play on the radio right do you remember that It, it was like
0: i do it was ridiculous
1: uh, so, so they, they, they did it too um, but they did it in this kind of more sincere way because it was about you couldn't criticize the Bush administration or it felt like you were going to be put on some list. so this kind of anti-Muslim sentiment came out uh, and it was just kind of like everyone just kind of had to back this war effort and I think you know you had movies like uh, what were they like The Kingdom with Jennifer Garner I remember it was one and yeah I don't know it was a weird Heart time locker the Hurt locker yeah yeah um and i i don't know i mean now it, it's hard to like kind of judge where movies are at right now cuz it sort of feels like we're in pure escapism mode at least in terms of blockbusters those are like that's all that comes out
0: yeah i was i was going to say it feels like we're starting to get a little bit more sincerity from movies that are yeah. doing well like top gun and avatar they're both huge hits they were uh-huh. very sincere movies. And I, I'm i just, it's, it's interesting because we went for so long with all these, like horror movies were very cynical uh, for, for a long time. Like Saw was a huge hit, very cynical. Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole you know? kind
1: of quote unquote torture porn era, <laughs> which, um, I mean, we kind of make fun of Saw in detention actually. But the... Um... Yeah,
0: that's that, that part made me laugh really loud because I had this idea once where I wanted to remake Tenebrae but instead mm-hmm. of a horror author, it was going to be basically Eli Roth character. <laughs> oh, I see. You know, and I don't want to spoil any twists of that movie. But if you see that movie thinking about a horror director, it actually might be a pretty good movie. But I, I'm no screenwriter, so I haven't really done Yeah, no, no, it, that's a I, good idea.
1: Like I always felt in Tenebrae that Argento was, he, he kind of is like interrogating himself. Like he, I think he places himself in that character a little bit. Because, you know, people have definitely come up to him and asked him, like, if he feels responsible for the violence in his films and if he's doing a bad thing. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I do think the whole kind of torture porn thing that came out then was like, probably, it was very kind of tied to the zeitgeist of the time, which was, um, you know, Guantanamo stories coming out and Abu Ghraib stories. Um, but those movies I found pretty rough. Um, I, I, am not really, I think the reason, like, it was fun to pick at that in detention a bit is like, I don't know. I see detention as a, a horror movie. I mean, it's, it's other genres too, about survival, which were, was always the horror films I liked. Like they were empowering in a way, like Nightmare on Elm Street. She, the adults never believe the kids but yet the kids kind of overcome the boogeyman at the end. And, and it felt to me like saw and hostile and at least hostile had a sense of humor to it, but that they were just kind of more focused on suffering and it, it, it was less interesting to me and it felt kind of anti-youth and, and
0: kind of gross. I've noticed though, that horror movies are starting to get a little bit more away from that. And, mm-hmm. and like, um, we got scream coming out that one's gonna have a survival element i'm assuming to it obviously because being a slasher yeah yeah and just like uh and it's interesting to see what like megan's been a huge hit because that one Mm -hmm. is just what it is it's not trying to be anything else so i think we're we're i think we're starting to see that so much heaviness is sort of like they're like okay we can't we gotta like get some fun out there and hopefully we'll Start saying more fun stuff in the future.
1: I think that's true. I think Megan is a good example of that. And I think like there's also, you know, like I've seen you on Outlaw Vern's site and on Letterbox. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel that you often criticize the sort of A twenty four template. Yeah, uh, and, and, yeah, and, and I'm a, one twi- of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, fair, fair. And I, I feel like A twenty four kind of. There's something very nihilistic about a lot of their horror stuff, especially like movies like *Midsummer* and stuff. Which, I mean, you could call them fun, but but they're not fun in exactly the same way that like a child's play movie is, or a movie like *Megan* or or even *Scream* is. That they're they're sort of that there's this kind of nasty sort of shock aspect to them that just kind of wants to sort of run the viewer through the dirt. I think you know.
0: So. One of the questions I usually ask with all the people on my show is how kids discover movies now. Cause I feel like when I was growing up mm. and you were growing up, we had VHS video stores and there's streaming, it's real easy now, but like what do you what do you see the future of young kids growing into movies fans and then you know getting into into screenwriting and stuff like that? Like is streaming the like a good thing, a bad thing? Like what's your feeling on how young kids are going to get into movies?
1: Mm, Okay, well, I I think like when, when you and me were growing up, movies had like a bigger piece of the pie in terms of what media people consumed. I will talk to people 10, sometimes five years younger than me and they don't watch movies. And the reason is they can't sit through them. It it just takes too much concentration. Um, They, they, you know, watch YouTube a lot. They watch TikTok clips. Um, So, and I I find it with myself also that I'll be, um, I like going to movies in the theater because I'm forced to watch the movie. You know, if I try, I watched Black Panther 2 last night. I liked it. But I, but I felt like I have to put my phone in my bedroom so that I'm not looking at it. You know, there's too many distractions now. And I, I think like all this stuff, all the stuff these media companies have pushed on us has done something to our brains that we, we just can't focus for as long, you know? So there, yeah. there's, I think there are less, there's less kids who care about movies because to them there's other content out there and it's just as good. And they're, perspective you know if if but if they took the time to look at this stuff to study it to learn about the craft of movies, I think that would change and I do notice you know as someone who posts on letterbox there's a lot of young people on there who are really into it also um who have fairly esoteric taste a lot of the time so I'm not sure I mean I I think the studios, also need to take more risks and kind of put stuff out there that is exciting to younger audiences and not such a kind of corporate way as another ant-man movie or another star wars spinoff but that i think like it's a new generation we can't just be recycling older things uh you know give kids something new and i think that's kind of going to be what it takes
0: yeah i think the success of something like megan kind of shows that perhaps you're you're right on the money with that because like this year it feels like there's no buzz for like the MCU movies as there were in the past i think yeah. a lot of people are kind of over it uh in some ways and they want to kind of see more different things that's why i'm hoping that like you know some we get new i mean if we're going to have franchises hopefully get some new ones and the mm-hmm. other thing i heard too which is interesting was that megan trailer shows you the entire movie and it turns out kids have said they need to see basically the entire movie before they go into it because what why <laughs> okay. I, I, I have to look into it more, but I think it's what they said was uh the way their brains work. They kind of, they don't like surprises. They got to kind of oh, tell but... what they're, they're, they're getting into. They, they, that's they like to know, not know some things, but like, mm-hmm. you know, they there's, that's why you see so many trailers that show the whole movie. I think it was when, that Dracula movie came out with the invitation. That's where I read that. Because that oh, okay. that's literally the entire movie too. I didn't and see that. Yeah. They said that they found kids that went for PG thirteen. They had showed the whole movie in the trailer essentially. Unfortunately nobody showed up for it, but they did the same thing with Megan and it did. So I think they're, I think you're gonna start seeing that kind of thing too to get, you know, younger kids in the audience.
1: That's bizarre, and, and it's it's bad news for me because like I don't know I I like writing scripts that surprise people I like surprising myself. My feeling is the complete opposite of them of what they're saying. I think there's I, I think trailers are too long. <laughs> um, like I didn't even bother watching the new Scream trailer because I know I'm gonna see it anyway. I mean I might as well go in as like fresh as I can. I think trailer should be about ninety seconds, not three minutes. You know, I mean. No, I, I hear you. I hear
0: you. You know,
1: I mean, I think movies are too long, also, and that's maybe a different thing. Um,
0: well, like that. To- for for me, I I worry too much about runtimes going into a movie because, mm-hmm. like, I I've seen movies. I'm like, oh man, it's gonna be three hours, and the next thing you know, it was like, whatever, just
1: flies, flies by, yeah.
0: But like, yeah. I I won't see a movie because I'm like, oh, I don't want to commit to three hours. I need to. Get out of that, that habit and just be like, okay, I'm going to go see this movie because I want to see it because it sounds cool. And then I go see it and then I feel better. You know? Yeah,
1: no, totally. I mean, <laughs> I think you just have to like schedule it right. But I mean, it'll be like, you know, sometimes I'll be on the internet. It's 10 30. I want to watch a movie, but everything's like two and a half, three hours long that I'm looking at. So I don't know. They need shorter films for that. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just sort of feel that there's, movies used to be shorter. You know, my friend, Jason Eisner's new film, kids versus aliens is 75 minutes. And I feel like, you know, in the heyday of universal horror films of the thirties, these movies were like an hour long, a lot of the time. And you didn't feel ripped off. It's like that. That's sometimes how long an experience takes an hour. You like go to Dracula's castle, enter this other world, and then you're out sometimes like I think the pacing just suffers in a lot of these, these films. Um, But again, that's just part, you know, kind of the entertainer in me trying to like keep things tight and hoping no one gets bored.
0: All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about growing up. Uh, How did, did you discover movies or was there somebody in your life that was like, set you down? Like this is a movie.
1: (laughs) It's weird because uh, I don't know. Neither of my parents are like movie buffs. But I have like an early memory. I, I was born in Calgary, Alberta. I was maybe like two years old. My brother and my father went to go see Superman 2 in like the Calgary Tower, which had a movie theater in it. Then I didn't know what a movie was, but I knew who Superman was. And I was just kind of fascinated with this idea, like a movie about Superman. What's that? And I was just kind of like thought about movies a lot. First movie I went to see, my mom took my brother and me was Bambi. Just kind of a traumatic first movie, but also the the first thing I saw in the theater was a trailer before Bambi started for the Secret of Nim, which uh, you probably know is about like these lab experiments turning rats into uh, genius mutants, and it was scary. Like I just thought movies were supposed to be scary at that point, <laughs> and uh, um, so, that movie it, will it, do it. Yeah, yeah. So it it just kind of became this sort of fascination for me, like. That there was something magical about movies because I didn't understand how they worked. I remember seeing *Return of the Jedi* when I was four in the theater, and it felt like it was like ten hours long, but it was just like this amazing experience. Of yeah, you know, I was obsessed with like all the monsters in it and everything. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it came to me somehow. Maybe it was destined to come to me, but yeah, it it wasn't really something passed on to me exactly. Cause I didn't really have other movie buffs in my life as a kid, but movies were my first passion and kind of have remained like my main passion the whole time.
0: Yeah. It was very similar for me actually too, where my parents, I mean, they liked movies. My, my parents had a VCR. They would, my mom would record like mm-hmm. off of HBO and we had, I wish I still had all these tapes of like, like there'd be like the beautiful laundromat laundromat or whatever it's called. Right, right. Uh, and then right after it would be like Nightmare on Elm Street, it was just all such a weird like combination of movies. But like, mm-hmm. they took me to see ET, right? I don't know, yeah, I don't I know what E.T., it is thought... about like traumatic first movies, but like, it's like ET, uh, Bambi, it's like what, uh, <laughs> but like, it just I just got into it, I just liked it. And they didn't like be like, here, go movies or or anything like that. They, I just had the opportunity, I was lucky enough mm-hmm. to have. VCR, cable, you know, parents yeah, that did those well. things at your disposal. Yeah. 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 So it's very lucky and I was able to do it, libraries and all that good stuff.
1: That's great. I, I remember um I did see ET in the theater also. um What a great time to be a very young film buff, the early 80s were. But I also remember I had seen on videotape, I think my aunt had it. I watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Dark at the same time, Temple of Doom was in theaters and I wasn't allowed to see it and I I remembered like Temple of Doom took like two and a half years to come out on video I think it came out in 1986 on tape and it it opened in theaters in 84 and it just felt like the longest time but I was so obsessed with that movie before I ever got to see it you know yeah that so so I'm very um I'm a Spielberg kid in a lot of ways but also I saw a lot of like the Disney animated movies like early in life too
0: yeah, those were something that ever really got into as much the Disney, but I yeah. did like Don Bluth. Like we talked about Secret of Nim. I used to watch that all the time when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I, I just really liked the expressive animation they did for all their characters' faces. And I liked horror growing up. That was kind of like the first genre that I was like, Ooh, I discovered something here.
1: Were, were you allowed to watch horror as a little kid?
0: Yeah, my, my parents didn't really censor me. I remember one time me and my sister, who's a couple years older than me. We uh, watched *Nightmare on Elm Street* mm-hmm. uh, on HBO. I remember uh, doing the fold out. We had a one of those couches with a bed in it. We folded it out, watched it like we were at a, you know, in the, in, in the living room on a bed, and it like Whoa. scared and like it was like a this weird, like it didn't like it was I don't. I I feel like a like a sociopath or something about, it, but it didn't scare <laughs> me like it probably should have. It fascinated me, so like I would get into mm-hmm. like more horror movies and stuff. And I, the but it was more the horror comedy that really got me mm-hmm. because I I'll never forget. There's this movie, Cat's Eye. You ever seen Cat's yeah. Eye? Yeah, I've seen Cat's Eye. Those yeah. little, little monster scared the crap out of me. And right mm-hmm. after that was a Richard Pryor special. <laughs> and, I didn't, and everyone's laughing I don't think I understood any of their jokes but mm-hmm. it, everyone laughing and stuff just sort of made me feel better about being scared and then like yeah. I would get into Evil Dead 2 Nightmare, or Friday the 13th part 6 Jason mm-hmm. Lives House like these are all killer clowns from outer space it's all the funny stuff that the funny horror comedies that really got me into all the different kind of the genre yeah
1: yeah. I mean, to me, it was kind of more that it felt sort of, I don't know. I mean, I don't think like my parents really approved of me watching horror as a little kid. So I didn't see much of it, but I do remember just being at the video store and looking at the cases of these movies and you'd like kind of turn the, to the back cover, which had pictures of it. And sometimes you'd see something really messed up on there. Like I remember like creep show two was one of my favorites. Cause the back is just someone's face. That's just pure blood. <laughs> And and I I was always like wow if I watched this it would probably kill me, you know. And so there was sort of this evil fascination to it. But I do remember sometimes like I knew how to program a VCR. Uh, I remember taping Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. They would just play on late night TV. The Fly. I saw both Alien and Aliens that way. Yeah.
0: I remember one time I went to my friend's birthday party and in the eighties where I was growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. like you would do stuff on your own. Like it's, it was way like I, you know, we didn't think anything bad was going to happen. And luckily nothing did, but I, we went to their, their, the party and her, their parents rented Robocop. cop. Oh no. Yeah. Which is <laughs> like, you know, like that's really not that appropriate for, you know, 10 year olds to be watching, but you know, it was just like, but it was so kind of cartoony in a way that it really wasn't that bad. But when that dude starts melting, you're just like, "Yeah, yeah, I can't believe we're watching this. This is like crazy. It was
1: amazing." RoboCop, I probably saw also around that age. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. I think I also saw it at a sleepover. Um, yeah, yeah, man. I don't know. I I did think um, a lot of action movies around that time probably going into the early nineties had like sort of horror level violence in them a lot. Like I'm thinking of like Total Recall, another Verhoeven movie, but also like Die Hard 2 has the icicle through the eye. And it was just kind of these like, yeah, you know, just these kind of horror level gore moments that they throw in there a bit that sort of made action feel edgy
0: too. Well, yeah, My good friend, Robin taquara who I've had on my show, he tweeted out how he was like, man, a lot of these eighties, And then these heroes were basically just slasher movie villains, just going around, just murdering all these people in like all these gruesome fashion, like commando, like Arnold's basically just like the nice guy Terminator, just like cutting dudes heads off and stuff like that. It's It's
1: kind of true. It's kind of true. I remember thinking that with, you know, it's, it's a much more recent movie, but the last Rambo film. It was like, this is a slasher movie where Rambo's like the villain, but also the hero. Like, I don't know.
0: I haven't, I haven't seen that one, but I heard there's, it's basically just a stock and slash movie at the halfway point. Yeah.
1: It's fairly racist and not very good in my opinion, but I don't know. It definitely is like a very simpler pared down version of a Rambo movie for sure. feels much lower budget too.
0: So when you were growing up then, did you want to get into movies or you just wanted to be a, a movie critic? What was your goal?
1: Uh, no, I always wanted to, I don't know. I mean, I wanted to make movies. I didn't necessarily know what that meant, I think. But but there was never any question that I wanted my life to be about movies in that way. I mean, like when I was out of high school, um, a lot of kind of big Hollywood productions were being shot around here something with the tax credit at that time, like Titanic was done here and uh, the, the Scarlet letter Dolores Claiborne often Halifax would play new England, somewhere in new England. Um, But I didn't really have any skills to work on movies. So I just asked at the alternative weekly called the coast in Halifax, if I could review movies for them. And it was it was like the closest thing. And I, I just, did that for 10 years. I was often, I saw everything basically that came out between 99 and 2010. I was often seeing like five movies a week and writing about them. So that was like a great education in a way. And even not just in like what I liked and didn't like about movies, but I kind of learned to write by doing that. It sort of forced me into this situation. Um, But that never kind of, it never went away that I wanted to make movies. And, and I would direct and write my own shorts that I just shoot with my friends here. I still do that to this day. Um, what happened, the, the way that I got hooked up with Joseph Kahn is when Torque came out, I noticed that Joseph had his, a website that kind of had like select quotes from different critics making it seem like they all love Torque. Some of them liked it but I felt I liked it more than all of them. And so I emailed the administrator and said, hey, you should put a quote from me up here. I think I'd I like this movie more than all of them. Joseph Kahn emailed me back and said, wow, you're like the only person to understand my movie. Um, we, we became friends at that point. I worked on a, an Acura commercial he was directing in Calgary. Um, and then I started writing music video treatments for him. Did like a first draft of Rihanna's Umbrella video something for Shakira, something for Carrie Helson, um, several others. And then, and TV commercials, but that's kind of how that, that hookup started. And we just kind of liked emailing each other our thoughts on movies and stuff, you know, um, whatever was coming out then pirates of the Caribbean too, which I remember just kind of exchanging thoughts on that. And that's kind of where that friendship came out of and and how detention kind of came out of that friendship. Yeah.
0: So we, Got to become at least internet friends through yeah. uh Outlaw Vern's website. Uh, for people who are listening, Vern is a is a film writer at outlawvern.com. Really, mm-hmm. uh, was one of the people that got me into like direct to video action films and kept that sort of torch alive and you know had this nice little community going. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I'm pretty sure he also liked Torque. Oh,
1: yeah, Vern also does like Torque. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you,
0: yeah. you and you and you and Vern are like the the two tor- <laughs> torch torchbearers of for um, that particular I, I mean, movie.
1: There's a couple others. It, it's it's it was weird to me that it. I mean, Armand White loved Torque, you know. But but there it was weird to me at the time that a movie like Torque was so dismissed. And I think if it came out today, it would have better reviews because it it seems to me like just the language people use when they discuss movies now it's all about the vibes. Like it's a good vibe. So I think that people are much more style conscious now or they appreciate visuals or at least pretend they do in a way where it felt like that, that decade in action movies that got critical acclaim was often things like the born supremacy uh, or the dark Knight. you know, Um, it was like, it was the shaky camera. Um, but I think like the, that sort of music video aesthetic is more appreciated now. And I I mean, I don't know. I I think somebody like outlaw Vern understood that or, or could appreciate it. I mean, mean, it's interesting because Vern does not like Michael Bay movies, or at least didn't back then, (laughs) but, but, uh, I, 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 I would agree with him. I think that Joseph's style on Torque is more, how do you pronounce this word? palatable than than Bayes is for me which is Bayes just kind of pure chaos
0: i gotta be honest i haven't actually watched torque i think at the time everyone's mm-hmm. like oh this is dumb or whatever it was and they didn't yeah. quite understand what was what the actual movie was okay uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like i'm a bit of a different emotional space to watch torque how about that <laughs> Yeah, <I know>?
1: yeah <laughs> you should watch it it's a fun movie i mean it's 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 silly, but it knows it's silly. I probably saw it. I mean, I was probably excited to see it and brought friends with me because I thought it looked ridiculous and might be really fun. And I was like an Ice Cube fan growing up. and I I just thought it'd be like, just seeing him scowl on the poster kind of made me want to see it.
0: The uh, the other thing too, I just remembered from the movie last night I wanted to ask you about Mm -hmm. is the, the end scene with Dalton versus Steven Seagal like, whose idea was that? Like, who's the Dalton fan of the two? Uh,
1: I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I'm i not, I feel that might have just kind of been like something we thought would be cool more than any of us being diehard Roadhouse fans. But it, it felt like Roadhouse was kind of a, developing a rep as a big cult movie at that time. Um... And even like I'm not sure. I mean I can't really answer for Joseph, but I don't really think he's a massive Seagal fan either necessarily. You well, know?
0: it it was funny because Seagal was used for the bad guy and Yeah, yeah. And uh obviously Dalton's for the good guy and Dalton's character and Patrick Swayze, the actor, is everyone likes Patrick Swayze. Nobody <laughs> likes Steven Seagal, not even Fern. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, right. it was it was pretty funny. Um it was, yeah. it was it was something that like I feel like a little bit ahead of his time because I could totally see like movies now being like you know referencing those kind of things when they're doing I, the action. Movies I think and that's
1: whatnot. kind of what it was. I, like I'm not sure that Swayze or Seagal was like something either of us were like you know passionate about, but it did feel like that it was on the cusp of the the fandom for Roadhouse kind of picking up. Also, you know Swayze's kind of action. Career is pretty interesting in a way because it's just kind of like a section of his career where he did Roadhouse and Next of Kin and Point Break, but he's not he's not really looked at as an action star, especially is he? Because he also did like Ghost and Dirty Dancing or sort of his big movies. Um, yeah, yeah, just felt like a sort of a, a fun idea.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that too. I mean, just because I I love Patrick Swayze. And I've got on my wall in my, not my office slash guest room uh, where I do these shows, I got movie posters on the wall mm-hmm. and I actually have a section of the wall that's just uh, Point Break, uh, Dirty Dancing and Roadhouse. And I, okay. like, Dirty Dancing might be one of the, my favorite movies ever. And like, Sweet. you know, just being like, uh, you know, there's something about uh, Patrick Swayze that we don't. That I feel like we we need more of in movies these days. Just somebody who is very sincere. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, and there, I think there are some actors out there. I'm sure somebody can uh, email me and give me a whole list of people. Like these are the new Swayzes. I want to see more of that kind of actor. That's interesting. Have you always been a big Swayze fan? Yeah, since I was a kid. I mean, I knew I was really big in action movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I saw like. Dirty Dancing with like my my sister probably and my you know my family and he's just like really cool mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and I got Point Break and stuff it's just you know there was something about the fact that he wasn't just a he was always macho but he was he was had a sensitive side I think I always kind of was drawn to that sort of of uh, vibe for, sure. for him that's
1: like know. what happened to his sort of star level it felt like. Even when Donnie Darko came out, that you know, bringing Patrick Swayze out was like an older star coming out in this movie, who hadn't been in
0: anything for a while, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I know he had, you know, he um, probably just picked some bad uh, things. And like, you know, we were really into like other types of movies, I'm sure that was part of it. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, when it, you know, when he passed, if he was still alive today, he 100% would have been like somebody in an MCU movie you know yeah. he, like he would have had like he would have had like a keanu reeves level comeback i'm sure for sure was yeah, still alive
1: could have like done got like a best supporting actor nomination for some cool movie at some
0: point I, you know? yeah i would i would have hoped so like um like he would have been like kurt russell like was away for a while then he sort of came back in the fast movies and stuff and right, he hasn't right. he hasn't quite really embraced that more but i think swayze would have been somebody that Probably would have done some of his best work, you know, but unfortunately, cancer is, sucks and we lost him when for that. Did,
1: did Swayze die before they started doing the Expendables movies? Do you remember?
0: Yeah, he, yeah, it was like 2010, 2011, probably when he, right, right, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Cause I remember when I was doing, uh, I was a production company in, in Chicago that I was doing. Like just mm-hmm. you know, PA work for. They were going to interview him for that that show, The Beast. And I was really disappointed because right. they told me to stay in the car. You know mm-hmm. they they brought up their stuff, stay in the car, find a spot, we'll call you when we're done. I was so disappointed that I wouldn't get to be in the same room as Patrick Swayze, and I think that was around like 2010 mm-hmm. or so. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know we we. I did luck out though. I did get to meet Lance Henriksen once, who's another one of my heroes growing up. So sometime Ooh. and he was super cool and I was just the, the biggest nervous dork. And my wife was with me at, <laughs> and she's the coolest person in the world. And she's got tattoos and they were like showing off each other's tattoos and stuff. And I was just like a stammering idiot the whole time. And it was just uh, probably well, one I of mean, the funniest moments. So it's you know.
1: it's hard, it's hard to know what you're going to say to these people that you admire, I find, you know, and, and I feel like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's like, I can't think of that many big examples of big stars I've met that I've, you know, been a huge fan of and couldn't wait my whole life to meet them. I mean, maybe some musicians, but, but the, the, yeah, I I don't know. But at the same time, I was like, what am I going to say to them? Cause you can hype those moments up so much that, I d I don't know.
0: They they might only end in disappointment. So I want to um get into the other thing I like talking about is people's collections. And okay. I, I'm looking behind you and I see you've got Can you see books. Mine? Yeah. Now so is these, that is that all movies? Or is there music in these there? Are books. Is these are actually CDs. This okay. show. That's what I thought. They were a little too short for DVDs. These two
1: these two like next to my TV are yeah, DVDs and Blu-rays.
0: Yeah. So, do you are you a quantity over quality, or is it do you have a lot more than I see? Oh there? no, no, no.
1: Um, I try to only buy movies I like. <laughs> I remember, like, it was funny because I was thinking about this the other day that there there was an era where everybody bought DVDs for a while, like the early two thousands, and I would read these DVD review sites. And a movie like the Astronaut's Wife, which no one has ever watched twice, would just like have this video review that's like this is like a, a you know a model disc for video quality, and I would buy it. Um, but I'm never going to watch the Astronaut's Wife again, I don't think. Maybe I will. Um, so, but I don't really do that much now. Like, I'm just kind of out of shelf space, <laughs> so I'm only going to really buy movies that I, I really love or want to have the Blu-ray of for whatever reason.
0: So how are they organized?
1: Um well, I think a lot of people have started doing this, but I was the first. <laughs> they by by director's
0: last name. Really? That's yeah. interesting.
1: It's it's kind of a fun system because it means most people can't find anything but me. So when someone comes over they're like, "You don't own Ghostbusters or whatever." And I'm like, "Yeah, I do. And it's right here under R, you know." Yeah. How do, you, uh, how do you organize your stuff?
0: Um, I've talked about it before, but I basically do like a... It's a shuffle system. So oh. I just i just put the movie on the shelf and there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. How that, do you find it again? Uh, well, one, I don't have that many. Uh, okay. So that's easy. Um, <laughs> two, a lot of times I'm just thought, man, I really want to watch this movie. It's just, I want to watch something. I don't know what I want to watch. I just go to a shelf and be like, oh, that movie, I haven't seen that movie in a while, or I've never seen that before. I just happen to own it for some reason, and so I okay, so, so it helps it, you, yeah.
1: find it's, stuff you might not watch.
0: Okay, that's cool, and that's it also cool. gets takes away the anxiety of do you put this in this location or that, and like because sometimes there'll be like yeah. a movie that has a very similar title, you know, and it'd be like something would technically go between them, but I'm like, well, they're not even the same like series you know so it takes away that
1: (laughs) definitely i think the system that i use gets confusing when it comes to sequels because i don't like breaking up series so i'll keep the series together but then a movie like aliens is going to be filed under ridley scott instead of james cameron right um so i don't know it has problems
0: like that too i do have a shelf that's john woo and john carpenter like in Mm -hmm. order of release date um, right, right, right. And I used to do that too. I used to do my movies in order of release date. So it'd be like, you know, whatever, oldest to newest. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And that, that one works well too, because, you know, you could tell, hey, this movie came out this time. There's no like, well, sometimes there is, but there's no like debate. Like, this movie <laughs> came out this weekend, put it there. Right. You know, yeah, that yeah, yeah. that's anything that stops me from having to think too much about how I'm going to put stuff in there is the way i sort of do it (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. you know but yeah no i think i like your system because uh i don't know that this one it's like every time i get a new movie i have to rearrange everything and you know reshop them which gets a bit nuts sometimes for sure
0: (laughs) do you uh regret ever getting rid of any movie that you're like oh man i wish i still own that
1: um well i sold my vhs collection a long time ago maybe like 10 years ago but I had a lot of them the The thing is though I, I, I just had no shelf space for them at that point but there's, there's times where it's like yeah I used to have that movie and I've never replaced it on a different format and so yeah I, I mean I kind of miss it but generally I don't get rid of my stuff it's like I don't know I, I, I don't I don't know who's gonna want these DVDs not many people own DVDs anymore and I, I don't I don't really like throwing, you know, what I would consider to be artworks out. Like, I, I would never throw out a book either. Um, so, so yeah, there's there's not a lot of cases where I've really gotten rid of stuff. And sometimes, like, I'll I'll even replace a movie if like a better version of it comes out, but keep the old version because it has an extra or something that the new version doesn't have. So I've done stuff like that
0: too. Yeah, that makes sense because you know sometimes these new releases. Well, forget something or they couldn't port it over. Yeah, uh, yeah, but when you said something, that was interesting. I was, I, I have to find out if I can see to find the article. But uh, if you ever go to Walmart, they mm-hmm. have a really large, surprisingly large DVD section. Oh, very, like very little Blu-ray, lots of DVDs. Apparently, DVDs still sell really well for Walmart, and that's why they have all these like bins of just like discount DVDs. Oh, weird. So, if you ever know, uh, Walmart's I, the, the surprisingly interesting place to find movies. Do you still buy on DVD? I have, mm-hmm. like, because uh, I'm cheap, to be honest. So, yeah. and I regret <laughs> this decision actually, but I bought Drive, the Mark DeCasco's movie.
1: Uh-huh.
0: They had a new special edition and they have it on DVD or Blu ray. And it was like, well, the Blu ray is like $10 more. I'm like, well, I'll just get the DVD. And then the DVD doesn't look that great i was oh, okay. like why don't i just spend the extra ten dollars like come on don't, don't yeah be cheap. I mean, But i still buy dvds i'm a weirdo
1: i guess it depends like how much something's worth to you but i i don't think like I, dvd was interesting because like as i said i collected movies in the vhs era and not many people did suddenly everyone was buying them but i don't think like blu-ray or 4k has really taken off at all like who's buying this stuff other than like pure cinephiles? I don't think like the average consumer is buying like crank two on Blu-ray, you know, or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm right by this place called the archive, which is vinegar syndrome store. Okay. They have, they have two yeah. of them and they open one up 15 minutes from my house, which is dangerous. Cause I have to force myself not to go there and just kind of hang out and buy stuff, but they have a used section there. And, you can actually find used copies of criterion collection stuff and other yeah. vinegar syndromes and arrow. Like people are actually selling back their, their uh, boutique label discs that you can't, you can't go to like a resale shop and ever see that stuff. And yeah, yeah. like this place to do, yeah. I'm like, man, stop doing that. Cause I don't want to buy more stuff, <laughs> but like, that is a good point. Like if I were to talk to, uh, just one of my friends who's who just likes movies occasionally like hey do you want this 4k edition of this movie they'll be like what's 4k what do i care it's kind of yeah, interesting
1: like, right like I, i'm surprised how many people just have nothing to play like even dvds on anymore you know they, they yeah. stop putting the drives in macbooks uh yeah
0: so that's why i i wonder why it's why or not why but how young kids even do stuff because they'll be like there's no place to play a physical disc Mm -hmm. you know and then they're streaming but like not everything's available or it just disappears because I took it back or whatever and it's just
1: well I mean I I don't know because this is like a a debate I see sometimes like do you think we have more access to more movies now or that we used to because it just seems to me like there's so many rental services Amazon, YouTube um and and like when I was growing up, it'd be like either the video store had the movie or it didn't, you know. It'd be like a, a new release Friday, <laughs> you'd be stuck renting like airplane for the 50th time because everything was rented out, you know.
0: Yeah, it's 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 weird because it feels like it's easier and there's more options, but it feels like there's also less options because there's so yeah. much that like when you go to a video store, you could browse through everything, but eventually it ends. Yeah, Where yeah. it just keeps going, like Tubi, mm-hmm. it just keeps going. It's like, how is there four bajillion movies on Tubi? I have no idea. But yeah,
1: there, there's there's some real movies on there too. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my favorite like movie thing, just because of like you could get all sorts of stuff on there. But it's just it's just mm-hmm. endless. So I, I I think that like when you talked earlier with their attention span, on YouTube and stuff like that, I could totally see them like scrolling just a few bits find something real quick and not like you know going like we used to do because yeah nothing else going on at the video store but
1: well i mean here's the kind of sad thing that comes from that is i think people our age have you know growing up we probably got an allowance of whatever uh you'd save up that allowance and like you'd buy for example an album even if you didn't like that album because you only bought it because there was a song you liked you heard on MTV, that's what you were stuck with. So you would still listen to it like 20 times and you get to know it really, really well. Today, if you don't like a song, you don't like a movie, you got a thousand other things to choose from. How are you ever going to have that close relationship to to an artwork the same way, you know? And I think that's something that's kind of lost. It's just there's when there's too much selection, it's like you don't really develop these relationships with like individual works because because why would you have to you can just move on to the next thing
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense because i think back i watched a movie like a hundred times yeah and now yeah. i just watch new movies like i very rarely like if you look at my letterbox stats i think the most i've ever seen a movie since i started logging was like three times mm-hmm. and that was uh streets of fire because i happened okay. to see it twice in theaters last year great movie yeah and i and i so also saw it on 50 uh 70 millimeter. 70, 70, 70 millimeter. Wow. Which was amazing. hilarious because they uh they split the reels, they did them backwards. So <laughs> it actually before they get into the fight or whatever, it, it cuts to the last reel with the tonight with what it means to be young song. And mm-hmm. everyone was like, What what what's going on here? Why is where <laughs> where's where's the finish? And they it took like forever for them to like switch them out, you know. Oh, I was wow. like, that was that was a really funny uh, midnight movie experience of streets yeah, of fire, that, you know, but I think that'd be pretty crazy, <laughs> but I, I have noticed though. One of the things I, 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 there's a lot of repertory theaters by me. Like we have an Al, a couple of Alamos and whatnot, but I don't really see them populated too much by younger folk. Uh, it's more, more people my age and in their thirties. So I, you know, I, I hope that, um mm-hmm. I hope we, these, these kids, you know, Into movies to start going to those repertory theaters more kind of keep those going because I don't want to see those go away until I'm gone I I mean
1: yeah I think it's a it's a age gap kind of different culture like it's weird to think about because movies haven't even been around that long they're like 125 years old or something but it's I, I don't know I mean people there's all these articles that have come out lately about like the death of cinema and that seems a bit extreme but to me it's just like it's changed. Like the format of what used to be movies is like turned into TikTok videos too. That's just that's a branch of what cinema kind of started as when it was invented. Um. So I don't know. I think, but but yeah. I, I mean, is it a big thing to you? Do you think it's is it very important that you know
0: teens get into films? Uh. You know how like um, people have kids and it's important for them to like have that legacy. I feel like, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. since I don't, I don't have kids or, or, or anything like that, I feel like movies, even though I've never made a movie, it's just the, I, the art of watching a movie or just watching a movie in general, it just feels like something I want generations to be able to do as long as there's generations around to do it. I don't know. It just yeah. feels like it's weird that I have this like, Personal mission just to have people, you know, continue to to see movies just because you know movies Mm -hmm. are important to me and I feel like they're important to a lot of people and I think there's going to be kids that are important too. Yeah, it just would be weird if it just they just stopped.
1: I mean, I think there's always going to be people who gravitate towards it and who discover it. Like, I mean, you know, the, the kids and teens still do see some movies. Like, you go see the new Avatar movie and IMAX, there's like whole families there. So it's not like it's completely foreign to them, but I just sort of feel that we grew up in an era where movies were really important to the culture in a way where I feel like the culture is more fragmented and more distracted by other things. Now, Um, it'll be interesting to see where this all leads. I don't know. I feel like, you know, TikTok could go under any day if America decides it hates China too much or whatever and bans it, you know, stuff like that could happen. Um, And I think we just kind of have placed too much faith in these corporations to run our entertainment lives. Um, But I mean, we'll see. I think people who who discover movies, they're still out there. It's just kind of it's less of this mass kind of mass popular massively popular thing.
0: Well, it sounds like perhaps in twenty years we'll just have to revisit and see where we're at because like, we're we're like sixty five, like what what, are, what are, what's going to be like? That's twenty years from now, you know, like yeah, that'll be interesting yeah. to to kind of look back. That I think that's one of the reasons why I like doing my show because I picture myself ten years from now being like, "What were we talking about?" And I'd be like, "Wow, mm-hmm. we were talking about that. That's crazy."
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And look, the films aren't going anywhere. I mean, we love them and even if that they're not something that everyone is focused on liking, it's still cool that, you know, we're the people who keep that flame alive and who do care about them because we'll still need people like that. You know, I mean, I don't want every movie theater to close. I'm always worried that movie theaters are pricing themselves out of the business that COVID's hurt them and they're trying to do all these stupid things to get people going back now. Um, that's a worry for me. And I think like movies could really change because these streaming networks have kind of changed the way like city life is different. People just stay home watching Netflix. Now the idea of paying $20 for a single ticket to a movie is absurd to them. So I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's kind of sad. I think the industry is kind of doing it to itself. I think it's made a lot of mistakes. Um, but, but I don't know, the movies are going to survive. they, there's still going to be people like us who love them right
0: all right well mark i appreciate your time you've given me and i want to oh, make thanks. sure that you uh just plug uh your t- whatever you want to plug uh because i know i love your twitter oh. account your twitter account's awesome i like your oh, podcast you've oh. done so good to see sure someone
1: it, reads my twitter yeah okay so <laughs> yeah. you can there's, find me, there's on...
0: me and somebody else i'm sure yeah
1: it's got like two followers yeah you can follow me on twitter at um I think it's just at Mark Palermo.
0: Um, it's very clever. It's a very clever Twitter handle.
1: <laughs> it, it, can't, it took a while for me to come up with that one. And uh, I'm, I have a new podcast that should be debuting. Um, what What's the date today? I would say it will be out by the 10th. Uh, it's called Movies in Chaos. And uh, I'm, I host it with Serena Whitney, who is the programmer of the Review Theater in Toronto, and we talk about kind of cult films that are still playing to audiences. So it's sort of tied into screenings she's doing there and tied into screenings that I, I, I help run a film program called Thrillema in Halifax that shows cult movies once a month. Um, so it'll be good that we're, it's a way to talk about films that people are still seeing. Have these movies aged well? Are they problematic to modern eyes or not? Um, so I hope you guys can hear that movies and casts
0: yeah I'm looking forward to that because I'm fascinated by rep- like what movies they show that are older like the repertory movies because like for mm-hmm. example I'll just say this right now if I see one more theater showing just the first Friday the 13th I'm going to be so annoyed because like never. <laughs> like get... it's always
1: I like, like part two yeah
0: but like when you think of Friday the 13th think of Jason okay nobody cares about his mom like the first movie is fine but like just branch mm-hmm. out and like here in the Alamos, they used to show all sorts of cool stuff, and now it's just like we're doing the Twilight breakfast. I'm like, okay, all right, come on. But they're starting to get a little bit better. But like <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I'm looking yeah. forward to that because I, I like, I like to to hear what programmers have to say. That I'm very oh, excited cool.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, it'll hopefully be good. I, I think we've got a, a good camaraderie, her and me. So yeah, but yeah, thank you for having me on. It was, it was my pleasure and. I hope this was a productive discussion. I feel it was.
0: Yeah, I had a great time. uh, And I hope the audience listens too. And I want to thank them for listening to my show. And thanks again, Mark.
1: Thank you.